Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is my co-host and sometimes friend, Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. I don't know how friendly he's going to be. Uh, We've seen each other a lot this weekend, so he's probably tired of talking to me, so... Yeah, we'll be okay. He might be cranky, and I, I might have to settle him down today. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so, I might be cranky, but it won't be your fault. It okay. might be. It might be the topic we talk about. Okay. Okay. Um, so today we uh, want to talk especially about uh, Mr. Biden's response recently to uh, the Texas uh, heartbeat bill uh, that the Supreme Court refused to hear. Uh, it's been a couple weeks now, um, but this is the first time we have available to talk about it, and it's still obviously relevant. So um, before we talk about Mr. Biden's response, uh, we should talk about the law itself and uh, the particulars of it. So I, I know Matthew is up to date on this and, and ready to share, so why don't you tell us what this law is, and what actually happened. Okay. So the Texas legislature passed a the Texas heartbeat bill, I believe, in early May. So the basis of the law says that it's illegal in Texas to perform an abortion after a heartbeat is detected or six weeks. The difference between this law and all the other heartbeat bill laws that have been passed and then summarily overturned as soon as they went to the courts is in this bill, it gives the government no power whatsoever. The government has no power to do anything. What this bill does is it allows private citizens to sue civilly in court providers who who do abortions after six weeks. You're not allowed to sue the woman who has the abortion. If you, if the woman is impregnated on the basis of rape, incest, or abuse, the abuser has no right to sue the victim. Otherwise, those who those private citizens who want to have the ability to sue, immediately once the law was passed, there began to be rumblings. I believe it was middle of June, there was a group of people who sought to file lawsuits in federal court in Austin, Texas about this law. They argued for procedural reasons that it was illegal. And so just to summarize this briefly, no one, no one has said anything about the legality of the law itself. Everything that's been discussed, everything that's been decided along the path of the way from the district court to the appellate court, the fifth fifth appellate district, all the way to the Supreme Court, they simply have been arguing about the the jurisdictional legality. So in other words, lawyer lees in the weeds is what they've been arguing about, not about the actual law itself. So the law itself at this point can still stand, although there's still 
multiple lawsuits pending against it, both in federal court and in Texas state court, about the actual legality of the law itself. Well, um, I'm not a big fan of these heartbeat bills anyway, um, (laughs) because ultimately uh, I think it could discourage us from pursuing our goal, which is to end abortion, not mitigate it. Now, maybe mitigating its evils is all we can do, okay? That, that, that is possible. I'm not ready to say that that's all we can do at this point. The ultimate goal is to get rid of abortions. But if we, if we settle for this, if this is just a step towards that goal, no problem. But if this is the end goal, uh, then it still remains a problem. Not to mention the fact that there are, um, as far as I know, abortifacient medicines that are over-the-counter, or at the very least, you can get them by prescriptions that are still causing abortions, uh, and you don't even have to go to a clinic to have that done. So while these heartbeat bills are are good, in my humble opinion, if they're a step towards ending abortion totally— if they divert us from that goal, then that's not good. The other issue is, too, how how effective are they going to be, really be? It, my wife has had um, six children, and the most recent one, I know for a long time, the doctor had a really hard time finding the heartbeat. It was well after six weeks. So, you know, if, if the abortion doctor is listening for the heartbeat and just can't find it. Um, what good is that law going to do if if you can't find the heartbeat? So there, there's, there's issues in and of itself with these kind of laws. I don't really think they're going to stop abortions. Now, you're going to say, then why are all the people who are pro-abortion like to call themselves pro-choice. Those people that are pro-abortion, why are they howling mad about this? And it's because they they don't want any restriction at all. They don't want there to even be a whiff that someone may not get an abortion if they want it um, because of these restrictions. They will fight it, it doesn't matter what the restriction is, the tiniest restriction um, that might keep someone from having an abortion will always be fought tooth and nail and made to be sound like it's the end of all things. But and and I think they too realize that you know the pro-life movement. Uh, this is just an incremental step with the goal of ending abortion. So um, if they're smart enough to see that and know that's the ultimate goal. Uh, so that's why they're going. They're really bothered, they're really troubled by this law, even though ultimately I don't know, I'm skeptical about how big of an impact it's going to have, how much it's actually going to reduce people uh, getting abortions who want to obtain them. And and the reality is they could just go to another state, um, people who have enough money. While there's reason to celebrate this isn't as good news as some pro-life people have 
portrayed it to be. Neither is it as bad as some pro-choice people have made it to be either. Um, and and like you said, there's still a chance that this could be overturned, and you know, five years <laughs> it's no longer in effect. So um, there's a lot of a lot of issues. Even if all we do is talk about the law itself, there's some there's a lot of questions there. Right. I would wholeheartedly agree with you. I think while I think the law's purpose is good, I think legally it's it has issues legally. Just the idea that you're telling private citizens to go snoop around and find somebody to sue, which is never a good plan, but that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. But and like you said, I think it's I think the more important thing for us to understand from a worldview is what you had already said and what we'll hope probably spend the rest of our time talking about is the res- the demo- specifically the democratic response. When Biden when President Biden puts out the statement that basically says that he's going to take an all whole of government approach to stop this bizarre un-American law <laughs> The fervor by which the response should communicate to us what's actually going on is that this isn't necessarily about the law. This is on the Democrat side. This is the slippery slope argument. If they give a, if they give a centimeter, then in their minds they're doomed, so they can't give any centimeter. And so that's why you see such a fervor in response to this law, which, though beneficial, because at this time produces the ability for abortions to not happen in Texas. To a degree. To a degree. (laughs) Fundamentally, this is not the challenge to Roe v. Wade that some people are trying to promote it, both positively and negatively. And even ultimately, if Roe v. Wade is overturned tomorrow, that doesn't make abortion illegal. Correct. And that's another one of those misnomers people don't get. (laughs) You know... I, I think for overturning Roe v. Wade is a good uh, is a good um, aim, a good target. But still, there in some states there will still be abortion allowed. Right. Um, so it's not it's not like even if Supreme Court decided tomorrow Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional, that um, our goals will have been reached. Correct. Um, ultimately, the goal of people who are opposed to abortion like us is that there be no abortions at all um (laughs) so until we get to that place where at least where the law doesn't allow it i mean we'll never stop you can't stop evil completely um the best you can hope for is to mitigate it i guess but how, how much are we going to tolerate is the question that i have um Anyway, right. I don't want to get too far off because right. you know we have a limited amount of time and right. So, anything else you have about you want to talk about about the bill before we transition to the president's response? I don't think so. I... Okay, so then let's transition a little bit and talk about President Biden's response because we're going to use as a lot of our guiding principle um, an article Al Mohler wrote a few days ago that you can find on his website. But in it, what he what Molu does is he basically demonstrates how President Biden's position on abortion has changed over time. So you see how he starts rather conservatively, and then as 
if the, the cynic in me will say it this way, as, bec- as it becomes politically expedient for him, he moderates his position more and more so that now when you look at his position, it doesn't even look anything like what he said his position was when he started in politics 50 years ago because it has moved so much. He went from being rather conser- strongly conservative to pretty much as liberal as you can get because fundamentally he's seeking to reflect the Democratic platform, which since 2016 has basically been anything goes in abortion. There should be no restrictions. Repeal the Hyde Amendment. Repeal Mexico City. Just anything. So that's an overview of where he's at. So now let's kind of talk but about Yes. Before we do that, okay. it, you know, you say it's cynical. It is cynical, but I think you're. it's still right. It's political expedience. Right. I mean, for forever he was he was for the Hyde Amendment. Correct. And you know, people people change their mind in politics and I can understand that in one sense, but this was literally overnight. Right. And that's what Moeller points right. out. One day he's for it and the next day he's okay with it. And it's it's obvious why he did it, because yeah. he was running for the nomination of the Democratic Party, and he would not have won if he had stuck to Correct. maintaining the Hyde Amendment. Right. So just so everybody knows, the Hyde Amendment, what the Hyde Amendment says is that it's illegal to use federal funds in the exercise of abortion. So in other words, the federal government does not have the right to pay for abortions or give money that will be used for abortions. That's what Hyde Amendment is. Mexico City policy basically is the idea that federal money cannot be spent on abortions outside of the country. Biden has repealed Mexico City, which President Trump signed as an executive order. So Mexico City, now so now the federal government can spend money, federal taxpayer money, for abortions outside of the borders of the United States. And they're seeking to overturn the Hyde Amendment, which has already been overturned in the House, but right now the Senate has not overturned it. But Biden is for overturning the Hyde Amendment, which would allow all taxpayer money to pay for abortions functionally both inside the country and internationally. So those just as an explainer. All right. So let's the article that Moeller wrote, this isn't a quote I don't think about the specific situation. Right. But but I think it well summarizes Joe Biden's approach to the issue of abortion. And, uh, it was, like I said, it was for, he was being interviewed by a Catholic um, periodical, uh, it's called America Magazine, um, and Biden is, and he says he's a devout Catholic, but this is what he says, said to them on this issue. And it's been hard in one sense, because I'm prepared to accept defide doctrine on a whole range of issues as a Catholic, even though, as you know, Aquinas argued about in his Summa Theologica about human life and being when it occurs. I'm prepared to accept as a matter of faith my wife and I, my family, the issue of abortion. But what I'm not prepared to do is impose a precise view that is born out of my faith on other people who are equally God-fearing, equally as committed to life, equally as committed to the sanctity of life. I'm prepared to say that two other God-fearing, non-God-fearing people that have a different view. Now, some of that didn't make sense because (laughs) he sometimes is inarticulate, but um, (laughs) I read you what it said. So, um, there's 
one of the main issues for me is this constant talk of him not imposing his faith, or he even says it generically, uh, I'm not going to impose my beliefs on everyone. And this sounds really um, like a good thing, like he's he's being uh, generous and good and, and allowing for other points of view. The problem is he is imposing his belief on other people, i.e., his belief that he shouldn't impose his belief on other people, and therefore, <laughs> uh, people, human beings in their mother's womb, their life is put at risk. It, the imposition of this belief that he shouldn't impose the, his belief of sanctity of human life is actually killing people. Um, this is <laughs> this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, it. You know, I don't. I don't know exactly how to say it, but he he sounds like he's being really um, generous in not doing this. But it his his refusing to impose his beliefs is leading to death. And look, the the Declaration of Independence says that we have certain unalienable rights, and the first right is life. Uh, were the founders imposing that view on other people? Now, granted, many of the founders were hypocritical because they enslaved uh, Africans um, and didn't respect their lives or their property or their liberty. Um, so there was hypocrisy, no doubt. But that doesn't negate the fact that life is a we have a right to life. And taking that life, or taking that right, destroys the possibility of all other rights. So his his statement that he's not imposing his view, he he's actually in, imposing a view, which he holds, <laughs> which is that he shouldn't impose his belief, his faith views on other people. Um, but the fact is, uh, well. Did you have any comment about that well, issue I would before just, I? I would. Right. I would transition, but right. I, all I'll say is, when I read that quote, the, the the thought that keeps coming into my mind is that verse that says, "Professing themselves to be wise, they become as fools." He is so trying to thread this political needle, and it goes back to exactly what you said. You can't hold a belief and not live the belief out, because I would argue if you hold a belief. You live it out. Whatever you live out is what you actually hold to. Just saying that he I, he's against it because ultimately it's all about political expediency. So he holds to the belief, again, me being cynical, he holds to the belief because fundamentally he doesn't want to upset the church. But yet he – so he has these two balances. He doesn't want to upset the church, but he doesn't want to understand, upset his political party. And so he's trying to keep both sides happy. In reality, he, he makes neither side happy because – Neither side gets what they want, and he's trying to run them. He's trying to run this middle ground, and he, you just on this issue, you can't run the middle ground. Right. And so he becomes, he ends up sounding foolish. Well, he's trying to be articulate. He sound, he ends up sounding ignorant because you can't, you can't not impose a belief, right? And right, because his belief is that public policy should not be based 
on my faith. So he he's going to impose that view. He that is the view he's going to impose. That's the view he's going to enforce. And he's going to fight against a view that says my faith should <laughs> inform my public policy. Right. So while while he looks like he's not imposing his view, it, it it's still he is imposing his belief. Correct. His belief is that my faith should not le- my faith should not inform my public policy. And he's opposed to any viewpoint that says my faith should inform my public policy. And and so he's infor- he's enforcing that view on on and the victims in this case are innocent ch- children in their mother's womb. That that's who the victims are of his belief. Um, the, who, people who have no say whatsoever in this, people who are defenseless, and and have no one, no one to speak up for them. This this is systemic injustice. If you want to. If you don't want to see what systemic injustice is, you you see a system that's set up that doesn't care about innocent children that can't speak for themselves, are completely and utterly defenseless, and the whole system of government is against them, including the President of the United States, who believes that their life is sacred and refuses to speak up on their behalf. He constantly speaks up on the behalf of women who want to destroy these children, but he refuses to stand up for the the innocent in this case, and it it's rather repulsive. And then to hear him talk about as if he he believes in the sacredness of human life. You either believe in the sacredness of human life or you don't. And if that doesn't inform your public policy, you you got some issues. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you definitely do. And just at the bottom line is you have to question whether what he says his private belief is his actual private belief because I don't understand how you can create that dichotomy, that split in your mind. And, and then fight so hard. Correct. And so vehemently <laughs> opposed to it, against what you say you hold as your personal belief, which it it just it boggles the mind. We'll just right. leave it at that. So the other issue for me is that he makes the where life begins a matter of faith. That is bogus. Note. Nobody believes that, except for people who, for politically expedient reasons, want to say that. We know when life begins. Science tells us when life begins. There's no question about that. That The child in its mother's womb is a life, and everyone knows it. If they found two cells on the planet Mars, they would be proclaiming that that's life. And nobody would say, well, that, that's just a matter of your faith. You just believe the, that because that's what your faith tells you. That's bogus. Science tells us the life begins at conception. We all know that. And, and actually, Peter Singer is a bioethicist, um, a bio-non-ethicist maybe would be a better way to say it. Um, Peter Singer... Um, 
is is a proponent of abortion. Even he's even a proponent of allowing infanticide after a child is born uh, for certain reasons. Um, it, it it's not a, with him. It's not a question of when does life begin, but when is this a person? When is this a human being worthy of all the rights of a human being? And if you read his writings, you can you can see his reasoning. You know the reason why. He, Anyway, I, I, I'm not well-informed enough about his views to speak, but the point is is that even if you P, Peter Singer agrees that life begins at conception, that doesn't end the debate. He, The debate has been, as, as long as I've known about this debate, is when does this when does this life become human life? When is it worthy of... Uh, when does it? When does it receive rights? When does it um, receive the protection of the government? That's that's really what the argument is, and this, and that may be a, a matter of faith. But the when life begins is not a matter of faith, and so Biden puts it like that because in today's culture, if you say it's a matter of faith. And you argue it against it, it's like arguing against somebody liking chocolate ice cream. It's just their opinion. You can't argue with it. So you just have to respect it because that's their opinion. They like chocolate ice cream. You like strawberry. He's a Catholic. You're an atheist. You just have to respect his his belief. And to tell someone they're wrong about their belief is looked at as ridiculous because it's their opinion. It's their belief. But this this is not how historically it's been looked at. Religion is not just a subjective thing, a belief that we hold in our heart. It it should be held up to scrutiny, and if it fails, then it, it shouldn't be believed. So he's kind of pro- trying to protect himself by saying this is a matter of faith, so you really can't argue with me because this is just what I believe, and there, it's not about reason and all that. It's just, it's just a matter of faith and opinion. That's bogus, as well as his whole argument that about life beginning at conception and all that being a matter of faith. This right. isn't. A, this isn't. This really. This faith thing is just a cover for him, a protection from criticism. If you go back and you look through the history of how abortion has been thought about, when with the introduction, I think it was, I don't know exactly the date, but when they when they introduced 4D sonograms, <laughs> that completely changed the game. So that now you don't even have the argument. Rational, reasonable people don't make the argument Biden's trying to make this a matter of faith. It's fundamentally understood as a scientific fact that life begins at conception because you can see it, you can prove it, you can demonstrate it. So therefore the argument begins to change and that's why as sickening as it is, on some level it's refreshing to hear certain members of Congress now basically say abortion should be legal because we want it to be legal that it's it has nothing they they to take all the pretense all of the smoke screen that specifically older politicians like president biden have engaged in for years they get rid of them and they bluntly just put it out there that 
they think this is what it should be. And, and you, as you can argue with that better. Correct. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible the argument they're making, but at least you're on common ground and we're not you're not they're not trying to argue with all of these pretenses that aren't even valid. The one well, anything else on that? Yeah. So what we're saying is the argument really isn't about when life begins. The argument is about personhood. Correct. When does that being in its mother's womb become a person? As Christians, um, we attach it to biology. So it's a person because biologically it's a person from the moment of... It's, it's a human being at the moment of conception. So we attach it to biology, um, and that's, that's where we're coming from. Of course, we believe the Bible supports this notion that... Um, that life begins at conception, um, but it, it, biologically we connect it to when life begins, it's human life, and it deserves to be protected. Um, and of course, others from mostly non-Christian points of view place that personhood at some other point along the spectrum. Um, and the trouble, there's lots of trouble with not tying it to biology, um, but we don't have the time to go into all those things today. But that's really what the debate is about, and, and Biden isn't even talking about the debate. He's talking about something that we don't even really discuss and cloaking it in faith language so he can't be argued against. Right. Because it's all it's all subjective. Right. It's a matter of personal opinion. Well, the matter of when life begins isn't a matter of personal opinion. Um, now, personhood... Is is has been debated by ethicists, um, and even the comment he makes about Aquinas, um, it's really silly to. Aquinas argued that the soul was united to the was united to the uh, child in the womb at quickening, um, and the the problem is is that Aquinas, of course, lived in twelve hundreds and didn't know scientifically all that we know today about a human being. And so most people didn't even know they were pregnant until they could feel the baby <laughs> move until this quickening occurred. Um, my guess is if Aquinas were alive today, uh, he would have he would uh, revise his views of when life began um, just because of the scientific advances that we have made. Uh, not not a matter of faith. <laughs> right. So my one last thing or caveat is Moller finishes with this article basically exactly what Jeremy said. The story of Joe Biden raises important questions we all must answer. How will we define when human life begins, which is what we just talked about? And then secondly, will we stand upon that conviction no matter the cost? And I would – we each have to answer that question. But the, the caveat I have that I want to say is this. One of the, the pitfalls of when we talk about abortion is we can turn it into a sterile conversation and not realize that there are people attached. Women in difficult situations. That doesn't make the decision to have an abortion right. What it does call for is for us as Christians to do everything we can to reach out to them in love and compassion and care, and show them that there are other options. Because the reality is, 
simply this. And not just show them, but help. Right, <laughs> right. The reality is this. The majority of abortions occur because they because the belief is that's the only option they have that's available to them. We want to be pro-life. Correct. For both the child and the mother. Correct. And that's what, what Jeremy and my heartbeat is, that we're pro-life for both the, like he said, for the baby and for the mother, and we demonstrate to them there are other options, not just by telling them, but by showing them. What And whether that means pregnancy resource centers, whether that means adoption, whether whatever that means, that we, we engage in that. And I believe fundamentally that's the one of the ways in which this tide of pro-abortion will be toned because the tide is toning. It's just quiet because no one wants to talk about it. So... The challenge for us then is this. We must do all that we can to be pro-life. We must understand when life begins and defend it no matter the cost. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.